Awesome, thanks. Grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're starting a new sermon series that will be all centered in Matthew chapter 16. One of the very most important passages in the gospel. I think one of the most important biblical stories for anybody in this room, if you want to understand Christianity at its core, if you want to understand what you signed up for the day that you stepped into the baptistry, and said, I am with King Jesus. I want to ask you for the next four weeks to imagine a proposition. I want you to consider the great exchange from now until Easter. And as you invite guests to join you on Easter to worship Christ on the day of his resurrection, I want you to consider the great exchange. I want to ask you if you have, or if you would, consider trading your life in for a new one. If you would consider the life that you live where you're in charge, the life that's lived for your glory, where you're in control, where your will and your desires drive the direction of your future, would you change it? Would you trade it in, give it up entirely for the life that God desires for you? Would you take up your cross, die to yourself, and live out a version of Christianity in which you make Jesus Christ not just Savior but Lord, in which you let Him be in charge of your future and your dreams and your goals and your work? Would you enter the great exchange? I think that we have added Christianity to our life as if it's just one set of good ideas that will enrich our future. It was never designed to be that. Christianity, it's nothing less than you giving God entire control of the rest of the days you have left. Christianity is nothing more than you putting your old self on a cross, dying to your sin, and living the rest of your life totally belonging to God Almighty. It is a great exchange. And it begins, as we begin today, with thinking about the person of Jesus. I want you to read with me in Matthew chapter 16, the story that will carry the weight of our sermon today. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is a code word for Jesus. It's a nickname for Himself. In other words, God came to the earth in flesh, became the Son of Man. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Verse 14. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Keep in mind, he's already dead. Others, Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Today I want to ask you to consider letting Jesus Christ be entirely in charge of your life and your children's and your grandchildren's lives. I want to ask you to give the Lord Jesus Christ sovereign control over not just your sin, but your identity, your work, 
your retirement, your goals. I'm asking a lot of you, so would you let me pray for you as you consider that? Father, I ask for your grace on my sisters and my brothers. I know many of us, Lord, we've grown up on church pews and we think that we know you fully well and we think that we've done everything you ask. But I pray, Lord, that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes, soften our hearts, Lord, open our minds, and that you would renew us. Lord, that you would show us what you're calling us to in the gospel of Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd give us courage as we interact with ourselves, with our priorities, and the things that we hide from you. I pray, Lord, today that you'd set us free. Whether we are religious or not, our first Sunday, Lord, or our first of a new set of Sundays where we're different, I pray, Lord, that you would change us from the inside out this morning. In Jesus' name, I ask for that. Amen. Let me set up the Bible story a little bit by letting you know what's happened so far. In the gospel stories, if you're new to the life of Jesus Christ, you're finding yourself sort of in the middle. It's a halfway point, not chronologically, but in the development of the stories. He's pretty near to his death. It won't be that long before he takes the cross, and here's what's happened. So far, God has chosen to come to the earth in a man. Mary bore a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. Wise men came from afar to worship him. That child grew. When Christ was baptized, he was tempted by the devil for 40 days in the wilderness, faced his temptation and succeeded, and he launched on a ministry that would change the world. He preached about the kingdom of heaven. He told people that the kingdom of heaven was here right now, that God was working in their midst, they should repent of their sins and run to him. And people were baptized in droves, first by John the Baptist and then by the disciples of Jesus. Jesus would go into towns and he would teach and he'd preach. He'd tell stories of the kingdom of heaven. And people would say things like, nobody has ever said these things before. Nobody's ever taught like this before. He changed people's futures, the course of their lives. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He cast demons out of people. He gave paralytics the ability to walk. He gave blind people their sight back. Mute people were able to speak again. And on a couple of occasions, the dead were raised. And a widow was given her son back. Or the sisters were given their brother back. Or a little girl was raised up from her burial procession. This is what Jesus has been doing. Casting demons out of synagogues, that is churches, and city streets alike. And now, in a moment where his popularity is growing, King Herod has identified him. King Herod's already killed his predecessor, John the Baptist. And no doubt there's a cloud following Jesus. Jesus takes his disciples and he retreats. He moves away. He goes to a place called Caesarea Philippi. On a map, it's just a little bit north of the Sea of Galilee where we dropped the pen. All the life of Jesus was lived in this little stretch it's about 135 miles away from Jerusalem. If Jerusalem was Petal, Mississippi, Jesus and the disciples are in Louisville, no doubt, at Lake Teocato, enjoying fried chicken and the slides. He's gone just a little bit north to this place called Caesarea Philippi, and there's three things I want you to know about the location for this Bible story that changes the history of Christianity. The first thing I want you to know about Caesarea Philippi is that it was outside of King Herod's jurisdiction. King Herod ruled the west coast of the lake and most of the towns that Jesus did his miracles in. And so as King Herod, that fox, started to look for Jesus or watch Jesus, sometimes the pressure would build. And this is a moment when Jesus escaped and got away from King Herod. 
so that he could dodge all the pressures that surrounded his ministry. He went to Herod's brother's territory. Philip. Philip ruled this area. The name of the place was Caesarea Philippi. And probably even our kids in our church, our 7th graders, 4th graders, 3rd graders, if I say the word Caesarea, can you hear a word inside that word that you recognize? Yeah, you can. What's the word that you recognize? You recognize Caesar. King Herod the Great rebuilt this town and decorated it with marble statues of the Emperor Augustus even dedicated a temple to his honor. When he died and his son Philip claimed it, Philip named the town Caesarea Philippi. In other words, Caesar's town in Philip's jurisdiction. So Jesus takes his disciples for retreat, and I don't think it's an accident that he is in Caesar's territory, that he is beneath the shadow of statues commemorating the powers of the earth in this worldly system that we still sort of accidentally idolize. It's in Caesar's town where the ruler of the world is honored that Jesus wants to ask his disciples if they have figured out yet who he is. How they put it together? Walking on water, calming the sea, feeding 5,000 hungry mouths, chasing demons out with an authority that nobody has seen before, bringing dead people back to life? Have they put together the clues yet? Have they solved the mystery? Have they figured out what God's up to? Do they understand yet who he is? Caesarea Philippi was a beautiful place. You see this picture on the slide. The headwaters of the Jordan River, one of the tributaries that would feed the Jordan, the Jordan where people were baptized by John and Jesus later. A tributary fed from a spring in the cave in the back. It was always an interesting place. And for a time, because of the cave, it was uh, venerated, exalted. It was a place where pagans worshipped the god Pan. In fact, archaeologists have kind of reconstructed that in the first century, there would have been a beautiful little, uh, little temple to Pan just beside that cave. The grotto of Pan just beside the ancient ruins of the town called Benias, which we're talking today about as Caesarea Philippi during the rule of Philip. Sacrifices would be offered at the mouth of the cave or tossed into the cave to worship the god Pan. And here, where the nations gather to worship foreign deities, Jesus asks his disciples, have you figured it out yet? Do you know who I am? And do you know why it matters? Here at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus and the disciples are gathered. And they step outside of their normal routine to ask this question. Would you read it with me again in verse 13? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? He's been preaching, teaching, and healing. But the twelve disciples get to interact with the folks. They get to talk to the, to the people. They go on missions that he's not a part of. He sends them into the cities in twos. To heal, to cast out demons, and teach his parables. No doubt they've heard the rumor mill. They know the ground swell. They check their Twitter feed. And so he says, I'm curious, who do folks think I am? I mean, they've seen what you've seen. Who do they think I am? The disciples' answer is pretty telling. Um, they replied, verse 14, well, some say John the Baptist. Keep in mind, John the Baptist is dead. 
But John the Baptist was a powerful preacher and teacher. John the Baptist baptized crowds in the Jordan. He started the kingdom of heaven movement that became Christianity. In fact, King Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist. Not really as if John the Baptist came back from the dead, but King Herod believed that just like when Elijah the prophet died, Elisha was asking for a double portion of the Spirit. Little did he know it was the Holy Spirit, not Elijah's Spirit. King Herod was thinking that when John the Baptist died, maybe that spirit, that power at work in him transferred over to Messiah Jesus. Honestly, Herod wasn't that wrong. He just didn't know exactly how he meant it. Well, anyway, some people think you're John the Baptist. It's interesting since they lived together at the same time. But some people think you're John. Other people think that you are Elijah. Elijah was carried to heaven in a chariot. And Jews still have legends believing that he'll come back for them before the Messiah comes. But Jesus tells us in the gospel that John the Baptist served that role for Elijah. He took that job and he was the forerunner. That has been fulfilled. Well, some people think you're Elijah, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. All right. Some people think you're Jeremiah. You know, Jesus preaches against some of the sin that he sees in the temple. So did Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jesus' life was a course of suffering. So was Jeremiah's. Maybe you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. That's what folks think. All right, so let's just stop for a minute. What do folks think today? Like if we were all at Caesarea Philippi for a moment, if the Pine Belt, a place where we worship worldliness and the powers of the world converge, just like every other nook and cranny of the cosmos, what if we ask our neighbors, who do you think Jesus is? Well, some people believe he was a created brother of Satan's, not that he was God the Trinity. Some people think that he was a prophet or a Jewish teacher or a leader. Okay, And some people think that he died for their sins. Some people think that he is the second member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm asking you, who do you believe that Jesus is, and what does it matter? Well, it matters because if Christianity is a room full of followers of Jesus, then understanding who he really was is everything for the foundation of us getting this right. The reason sometimes Christianity becomes a cold and empty religion for people is because they really haven't understood who Jesus was or they really haven't given him control of their life. Probably the most common answer today, if we really ask people who is Jesus, people would respect him. They would say he was a good teacher. He cared for poor people, so that gives him some credibility. He seems wise. Was he divine? Oh, we don't know, but he was at least a really good teacher. Well, C.S. Lewis, before my lifetime, He offered a challenging word that I want to read to you from his book, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis made this proposition. He said, gang, if you're going to stop and interact for a minute with who Jesus was, you need to realize that basically you've only got three options for who Jesus was, and a good teacher isn't one. Keep in mind that he cast out demons and evil spirits. He claimed to be one with the Father, the bread of heaven, living water, light that came to the earth. He's one of three things, C.S. Lewis will tell you. He's either the Lord of creation. He really is who he says he is. And if he is the Lord, well, then you should take a knee and give him control of your life. Or, or he's a liar. He's a con man. 
He knew exactly what he was doing. He was a charlatan. He didn't have spiritual powers, and he wasn't from God, but he allowed everybody to believe it. And if Jesus was a liar, then you should chase him out of your life and not reconsider him. He deserved the punishment that he got on the cross. Third option, he's a lunatic. He really was possessed by a demon. He cast out demons by the power of demons, just like the Jewish teachers said. Maybe he really was crazy and thought he was God, but he wasn't. But C.S. Lewis says he had to be one of the three. Either he thought he was God and he wasn't, or he knew he wasn't God and he lied and said he was, or he really was God. And I want to put everybody in the room in the uncomfortable position of asking yourself, have you thought that through? And if he really is who you believe he is, why have you not given him control of your life? Here's Lewis's comments. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. Here's the foolish thing. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who, has, a man who was me, merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the devil of hell, on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And I want us to think for a few minutes about the response of Peter the Apostle. Peter looked at Jesus and said, you are the Messiah, that is in your Bibles, the Christ, the anointed one from God. You're the one we've hoped for through the Old Testament scriptures, your fulfillment of the prophecies. Peter said to Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter made his choice. Jesus looked at Peter and he said a few things about Peter that I think are true of you and me too. Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Blessed are you, Simon, the son of Jonah, his dad's name, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Three things I want to show you about Peter's confession that is true of yours. The first one is this. When Jesus looked at Peter, he said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. The thing that I want you to know is that for anybody in this room or all around the Pine Belt to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to realize that Christ is from God, for anybody to come to that step, it's got to be revealed to you by the Father in heaven. Jesus said, No man comes to me unless my Father draws him to me. And I want to say that, the God, that God in heaven regenerates us with His Spirit. And when our teams go out knocking on doors in the next few weeks, hoping to share the gospel with our newest neighbors, 
if God leads any of them to salvation, it wasn't the clever words of the team leader. It wasn't the support of the team members. It was the work of God showing them who Christ was. If you're saved today, you gave your life to Jesus, you gave it to him and were saved because Christ gave you the wisdom to see who he was. And if your heart is hard today and you realize that you keep, you keep Jesus at arm's length, then your rescue depends on the work of God, not on hard work from you. And my counsel as your pastor today is to ask Jesus to give you eyes of faith so that he can reveal to you who he is. If you're clutching your life and you refuse to give it to Jesus because you don't know him or recognize the power he has in your life, begin asking him today to soften your hard heart and show you in his spirit who he is. Second thing I want you to see that's true of you just like it was true of Peter. Jesus said to Peter, he said, your name is Peter. You guys probably know this. His name was Simon. His nickname was Cephas, stone. In Greek, that's Peter, rock, and that's how we know him. Jesus basically is saying to Peter, your confession that I'm Christ, that's right, Peter. Your name is Peter, but on this rock, Peter, the words that just came out of your mouth, Peter, you and your leadership, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And I don't think that Jesus was just setting Peter up to be in charge. I think that Jesus was identifying that Peter had done exactly what God wanted him to do. On this rock, I'll build my church. Our church and every church that is a viable church where the Spirit of God is active and moving, it's built on the confession that Jesus Christ is Messiah. Listen to me. If we misunderstand who Jesus was, our church will return into a religious country club or worse. A den of thieves and robbers, a pit of vipers. We've all seen churches turn mean. We've seen Christians who claim the name of Jesus and they wreck people's lives in their hypocrisy. What happens? We've forgotten that on this rock, Messiah Jesus and our confession of him, he'll build his church. And if you build a church on anything besides the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, it's bound to turn in to a train wreck made in your own image. He says to Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church. And on this rock, he's building his church. So I'm asking you, is your faith built on Christ? Or on what your father did, or your grandfather did, or your ideas about what Baptist life should look like? Is your faith built on the foundation of Jesus? Are you following him, or are you following a religion today? Jesus told Peter, off in Caesarea Philippi, On this rock, I'll build my church. The third thing he said, he said, Peter, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And it's interesting, just so you know, he's also given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I'm no Peter. I'm not nearly as important to the church as Peter. And neither are you, but we've got keys to the kingdom of heaven. It's our job in our lifetime to open the door of the kingdom of heaven, to unlock it for people by giving them Messiah Jesus. That's the only thing we can give them that would allow them in. But our job as a church is to carry the keys of the kingdom of heaven and unlock the door and let people into Christ Jesus. And when we knock on doors on front porches for the next eight weeks, we'll be knocking on doors with the keys of the kingdom, praying that somebody would receive them and that Christ would let them in. 
And I don't know if we take it seriously enough. When Jesus said to Peter, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, eternity hangs in the balance on the work that you and I do in our lifetime here. Not just your eternity, not just whether you get into heaven, but whether thousands of other people come to know Christ Jesus as Lord depends on whether you and I take our calling seriously, that foundation seriously, the revealing work of the Spirit seriously, and our possession of the keys of the kingdom seriously people are dying and going to hell and we know that and I don't say that for a cheap line or to scare you or to make your blood boil it's just a reality and we're so caught up in our lives and our schedules that sometimes we don't care or don't notice but the keys of the kingdom of heaven are yours you didn't come this morning just so you could be a good person in a good church you came because everything rises and falls everything hangs on the person of Jesus. And that's whom we gather around. Jesus told Peter the gates of Hades would not overcome the church. It's interesting that gates. Gates don't overcome anything, do they? Think about it. Gates are defensive. I mean, They don't attack you. Gates don't come at you. But the gates of Hades will not overcome this church that Christ is gathering around that foundation rock. How is that possible? What's it mean? I'll tell you what it means. Hades is not the same as hell in the scriptures. Hades is a place of dead. Sometimes it just is used to describe a grave. And as Jesus is looking at Peter and the disciples, they don't know it yet. They've seen the, the miracles and the healings. But they've had no reason yet to anticipate the empty tomb. They know that he can cast out demons and raise the dead, but they don't know that he'll be raised from the dead. They never yet felt the blow to their stomach as they watched him bleed on the cross and saw him broken for us. They understand today that he's Messiah, but they don't yet know what kind of a Messiah or what Messiah really means to the world. And he warns them from the very beginning. He loads their mind with a foreshadowing. His body will be laid in a tomb. But the gates of Hades can't hold him. It can't stop him. It cannot overcome his church. He'll march out of the tomb. And he'll set the dead free. Giving life in Christ Jesus. The gates of hell. I hope that they're empty because of your work. The gates of Hades couldn't hold Christ and it won't hold you. But I'm asking you today to just to think with me. Are you willing to consider the great exchange? I'm not asking you to follow a religion. I'm not asking you to be a good Baptist. I'm not asking you just to come to church on Sundays. I'm asking you, are you willing to follow Messiah Jesus? Not as a good teacher, not as a religious idea. I'm asking you... The Christ who died and was raised. The Christ who kicked open the gates of Hades. The Christ that emptied the tomb. The only Christ that can give life from the dead. Do you believe it? 
Has God revealed it to you? And are you willing to give the rest of your life to following Messiah Jesus? If He is who He said He is, then He doesn't just need you to wear His name on a lapel pin or put a bumper sticker on your car. He has you giving up the rest of your future and allowing Him to be in charge, redeeming your soul, cleansing your sins, but governing your life as He rules it from the cosmos. Christ wasn't a teacher 2,000 years ago who ought to be remembered and honored and venerated along with all the other good teachers of history. He is the Messiah from God who came to save His sons and daughters, who came to defeat death. And on that rock, He builds this church and gives us the keys of the kingdom. And I have two things in mind today. Number one, have you given Him control of your life? For you, becoming a Christian wasn't just asking Jesus to forgive you. It was giving Him the keys to your future. Have you let Jesus Christ become your Lord? When you were baptized, you were baptized on your confession that Christ is Lord. Those words are not hard to say. The decision is hard to make. Have you let Jesus Christ be your Lord? Is He Lord today? Is He in charge of you? Does He govern you? Do you obey Him? Do you submit to Him? The second thing I'd ask you is if yes, if, if you've given your life to Christ and you've meant it, will you join me as a church family as we take the keys of the kingdom? With 25,000 connections, with front porch evangelism, with every opportunity you have at school and at work this week to pray and labor so that others can be brought into Christ's kingdom, so his sons and daughters can be saved. Would you show others who he is? This morning, as you've gathered in God's house, I'm asking you, who do you say that he is? Does your mind and do your actions Reflect your answer. I want to call our church to a moment of decision together. I want to ask you after sitting in this worship service what God wants you to do in your next step this morning. Today, if you're not saved, if you're not a believer, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you know that if you died, you'd be in hell. You know that as you live, you live separated from Him. I'd like to ask that to come to an end. Today, would you give your life to Jesus Christ? Would you give Him control of your future? You can do that now. I want to ask you to do that during this time of response. Bow your head where you are and pray and ask Jesus to save you. There's a card in the pew in front of you, that connection card. Tell us the decision you're making. Come tell me or drop your card in the drop box so we can follow up. But give your life to Christ today. Second, maybe there are a lot of you, a lot of you, like I've been many days in my life, where though I made Christ Lord, I knew that I wasn't walking in it. Well, for you today, I'm calling you to let Christ rule your life. Let Him govern every moment, every thought, all that you do. Your ideas, your dreams, your goals, desires. Give Him your ideas about your bank account, about your work, about college, about who you'll marry, about sex, about what's important, about who your friends are. Give Him everything. Don't hold anything back. Let Him be Messiah. Let Him be your King. And finally, I ask you this. 
for weeks, you've been interacting with the little card that's been in your bulletins. Asking if you are called by God to sign up as one of our team members or team leaders to help us share the gospel throughout Pedal. In this response time, I'm calling for your cards. I want to ask if you will just come and drop them beside mine on the altar if you want to. If you want to commit to eight weeks of Thursday night evangelism. No doubt for all of us, there's something that God would have you do. Let's pray as you discern your next step. Father, I want to ask you what you would have us to do as brothers and sisters in this church family. Lord, how can we give you our lives? Would you reveal from heaven and the power of your spirit what we haven't seen yet? Lord, would you show us who you are in your glory? Father, would you allow us to model our lives on an accurate picture of Messiah Jesus? Could we understand and walk in that? Lord, we don't want to make Christ in our image. We want to be conformed to His. And I pray, Lord, that this Sunday morning you would allow us to give Christ control. Father, I pray for my sisters and brothers who ask for salvation. Lord, for those who are here today and know that they're lost, but today decide to give you their future. I pray, God, that as you respond to their prayer, Lord, that as they're saved, your name would be glorified in this community and this church. And Lord, as my sisters and brothers determine their next step, I pray, God, that you'd speak with clarity so that as a church, we could be faithful with the keys to the kingdom. We ask your grace over us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.